in a series called, What's the Big Deal About Church? And most of us, when we think of the word church, we naturally think of a building, a location. And that's not the intent of what it was. But when you're in Europe, by the way, just to continue my vacation a little bit longer here, it's really bummed me out. Um, and I, it's not my intention anyway. But when you go to Europe, you learn really fast that things are super old and every community or village or hamlet is, is built around a church. And some of these churches are off the hook amazing. I mean, around here, you know, Pastor Trevor and Tate and the rest of the gang, they try to make this place look nice and make it look, you know, create an atmosphere and all that. The guys who dream these churches up, man, oh my gosh. Let's just look. I want to show you a couple. Put the first one in. This one is a Milan. Oh, oh my gosh. I mean, just the, the now think of this through. This was built a thousand years ago. There wasn't like machinery. These guys like did it by hand. And the intricacy, show the inside of this place. The intricacy of this place, the tapestries, blows your mind. Show the next one. This one is in Barcelona, Sagrada Familia. This is truly the most amazing church. And I, I don't know if that picture does, does it justice, but there isn't one straight line on that church because Gotti, the designer, the architect, didn't believe in straight lines. But what he did believe in is when he built this church, he wanted to present the gospel on the outside so you get to know Jesus before you ever want on the inside. And outside is literally the whole gospel. Can you see there's something, you can't really see it in detail, but there's something on the outside of that building. It's the nativity scene. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's crazy amazing. And of course, you know, one of the most famous churches, two of the most famous churches. The next picture, please. This is in, uh, oh, that's the inside of that church, by the way. That's the inside of Sagrada Familia. Oh my gosh, crazy good. Next one. Is there, Okay, this is, in Bar, uh, this is in Venice. This is an amazing church, old. And the next one, of course, is probably the most famous church, if you, especially if you grew up in the Catholic Church. That's a picture I took, was, is from St. Peter's Basilica. Anybody ever been there? Several of us in this room. I mean, this is cray off the hook, like speechless, beautiful. But here's the deal. God's original intent for the church was not have his believers go to these big old stinking churches and go inside of them and stay there. You know why they're so beautiful on the inside, why they're so ornate, why they're this crazy, like, unbelievable? Is because they believe God, the only way to meet God was in that building. And the only way to know the word was the person who was preaching it and teaching it was the only one that knew the word. And the only way to get to know God was to go inside and stay inside. And that wasn't at all the intent that God had for the original church, at all. And I know we've been learning the last few weeks, we've learned this word, ekklesia. That's the word that God used to, to describe his church and the word is in Greek. And it means it's a gathering of people with a common person, pur purpose and a common, common mission. And he expected that church to grow and to be. God's intent was never for the church to have these big buildings God's intent, though, was for us to understand that the message was a big message, a powerful message, a life-changing message. And it's a simple message. The church was built around a simple message that Jesus Christ was exactly who he said he was. Exactly who he said he was. It's built around a mission 
of a message that's epicenter. The epicenter of that message was at his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That is the epicenter, not of a church where people came and gathered, but of a movement, a movement that spread from there to here to us today. We are a part of that movement. The book of Acts, it had an end. But if we were still writing about the history of the church, we would still, we would be writing in the book of Acts and we would be a part of it. Are you understanding me that? God's intent was for us, his children, to continue to keep the movement alive and that's my message today. And we're using the book of Acts. We're studying the book of Acts. How many here absolutely loved history class? Raise your hand if you loved history class. Okay, take a moment of silence and pray. Just kidding. How many here, like me, hated history class? Like, that's a boring. Okay, so I'm not going to try to make it boring today, but the book of Acts is a history lesson that's important for us to know as we're a part of this movement. And we're going to read today, we're going we're to get to know a few of the major people who created this movement and allowed it to go forward. Powerful. And we're going to read some long scripture verses today so that we get to know them and understand what they did to cause what happened in the first century to live and breathe and thrive today. Are you ready to that? So we're going to use the book of Acts that we've been doing it already and we're going to continue on today. And in the very first chapter, the book of Acts, Jesus tells us his followers, then the, there was 120 followers that were with Jesus when he died. Today, there are billions and billions and billions of people. One-third of the current population on earth today, one-third believe Jesus is their Savior, their Messiah, their friend. One-third, like us. And how did that happen? How, could, how did that message survive the first chapter with all the craziness that was going around it, all the things that were coming against it? How did it survive, and how is it still thriving today? It's found in the book of Acts. So if you are like me and hate history, hang in there with me. I'm going to try to make it as, as exciting as possible. But I want you to know the major players. When we read about American history, you're going to know about Thomas Jefferson and all the presidents that came before us, all the things they did to create the world we live in now. And that's the same with the Bible. The people that we're going to talk about today are important to us because they help create the environment, the movement. That is with us today. So in Acts, the very first chapter, really, it's our key verse. It's a key verse of Acts. It's a key verse of this service series. And it says this. In Acts 1.8, it says, you will receive power. Now, let me talk about that word power. The word power in the original language, it's the word dunamis. Anybody know what word we get from that word today in our English language? What is it? Dynamite. Dynamite. It says this. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive explosive, explosive power in your life. It says this, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witness, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the inner parts of the world. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power. Most of us in this room have had an encounter with Jesus. And the words, let me put it in, in words that we, we would relate to today. When the Holy Spirit 
When you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit came upon you in a powerful way so that you would be his witnesses in Kanioi, in Kailua, on Oahu, in the islands of Hawaii, and around the world, that you, us, would be his witnesses. That's what the words tells us. Isn't that amazing? But sometimes we allow the Holy Spirit not, we don't realize the power we have, the empowerment and the emboldenment the Holy Spirit gives us to be able to change the world we live in. I remember when, uh, I, remember when I first came to the Lord, and I'm about, probably a lot like you. When you come to the Lord, man, you just can't help but tell people about him. Man, something happened to you, you just know it. I grew up in the Catholic Church, and um, just came from a very devout Catholic home. When I came here, and I, about 38 years ago, I, I accepted Jesus. I knew God all my life. I, I believed in there was a God, but I didn't have a personal relationship with him. So when I came to Hawaii and I got saved about 38 years ago, my wife and I, which is a whole story about how our marriage is, we got married, we're still married for 40 years. Tell me about that, but I'll tell you later about that. But listen, Mateo, I couldn't help but tell people about him. I couldn't, I have a twin brother. Hey, Rich, oh my gosh, I, I'm born again, man. I can't believe it. You, you, you got to pray with me. You got to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And of course, he goes, what? And he went and told my parents, hey, Robert's born again. And my parents, devout Catholic, freaked out. What? Born again? Or what if you join a cult? Of course not. In fact, I, I was able to bring my parents to the Lord and all that. Good thing. But I couldn't help. Mate, like you. When you came to the Lord and you had a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit, how could you have not told other people about him? Are you hearing me? Amen. Well, the same is true about the 120 that came to Jesus, that Jesus, they saw Jesus resurrect from the dead. They know he was died, he died on the cross. They know he buried him. And when you bury somebody, what are you? Dead. dead. That's why you bury people. And then they saw him alive. And those 120 people couldn't stop talking about it because they know they had, there, there was something supernatural, something miraculous, something unfathomable happened because Jesus was dead and now he's alive walking amongst them. And that, that changed everything. And as we read last week and we've been reading, Pastor Carl brought you the message in, in Acts 5 where the church exploded and hundreds and thousands of people were coming to the Lord and, and accepting the message of Jesus because they saw the miracles that the, the apostles were doing. They saw the life-giving work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in the life, and they couldn't help but come to Jesus. They are coming in thousands and thousands. But not unlike today where the political climate is crazy, it was back then too. In the first century, what happened, in, and this is, we're talking about Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem there was two two power bases, the Romans and the Jewish community. And they were always at odds who had the power. And of course, the, the Jewish folks, the leaders there, they, they got influence, they got power, they got prestige. So they weren't losing that. They didn't want to lose that. And the Romans didn't want to lose control. But they had all these people coming to Jesus, all these people talking about Jesus. And it freaked everybody out because they could see that the balance of power was changing. And they freaked and if you remember the story last week, they tried to throw him in prison, but the angels, but supernaturally he got out. Next thing they know, they're preaching in the synagogue and the, and the people are, what the heck? How did you get out? What's going on here? And then they remember in the story, they threw the apostles back into prison. They beat him to an inch of your life. 
but yet, and they told him, don't ever mention the name of Jesus again. And what did they say? Yeah, I'd love to do that, man, but I can't. I don't care what, I'm not going to do it. And that's where we pick it up this week in Acts. And it's in Acts 5, and it says this, the apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer, to suffer disgrace in the name of Jesus. They didn't go, oh, where's God? They didn't go, oh, poor me. They go, wait, God, you counted me worthy to be able to, be, to go through this suffering? Glory to you, Lord. For every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach the message that Jesus was the Messiah. See, they, the government tried to say no more, tried to snuff it out. In fact, if you remember the word last week, they said the, in the word last week, he said that one official goes, hey, don't do anything about it because it'll just fade away. It didn't fade away. It grew like wildfire because they knew Jesus was real. They knew the Messiah was in their midst. And the church, again, grew crazy. But the apostles go, we need to put some order into this. We need to get some, some organization. And it mentions a very important person in the life of the church, the movement of Jesus Christ. And his name was Stephen. And Stephen, be like a head usher or head greeter, somebody with some authority. He was a deacon in the church. He was a, he was a leader. And it says that he filled with the Holy Spirit, went back to the, to the high council in front of the synagogue and he started preaching at him. And he clearly was a Jew because he used the Old Testament over and over and over again. And I don't want you to do this this morning, but when he got done preaching, they yanked him off the platform and stoned him to death. He said, enough. We've had enough. And they stoned Stephen. He was our first martyr person who was willing to give his life. That's something that we don't even have to think about here in America and in Hawaii, that you'd give your life for your faith. But he was proud to do it. The word says he did it. No problem, man. But when we hear this, the story of Stephen, there's another person that comes that, that the Lord unveils to us. And it's a very important person that we must know. And his name was Saul. And that was his Hebrew name. And we know him better as the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. One of the powerful leaders of the movement of Jesus. The gospel spread wildly because of Paul. Paul did amazing things. But when you understand where Paul started from, Paul, Saul, the word says his name was Saul, he was a rabbi, a high official, brilliant Roman citizen, super smart, educated, and the one thing he couldn't stand was Christians. Anybody that called the name of Jesus could stand it. And he thought he was serving God by trying to wipe it out, like by killing Stephen, by trying to throw people in jail. And here's where we pick up the story. In Acts, it says this. In Acts 8, it says, Saul was one of the witnesses and agreed that he would be able to kill, that he agreed to killing Stephen. And a great wave of persecution Began, to, began that day sweeping over the church of Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles scattered. They all freaked out, got scared, ran away, didn't want to get beat, didn't want to die. They scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. And some of the devoted men buried, came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. And he went from house to house, dragging the men and women out and throwing them 
in the prison. You see, again, Saul, a devout Jew, saw the, the folks now believing in Jesus as a threat to Judaism. So he thought, serving God, I'm killing them all. I'm getting rid of them. And for three years, three years, the word says that's how he spent his life, trying to put as many Christians. It says of the way. It says this. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath as he was eagerly trying to kill Jesus' followers. So he went to the high priest and requested letters to address the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in arresting any follower of the way. See, it wasn't called Christianity back then. It was called the way. And all these thousands were coming to Jesus because Jesus told everyone he is the the truth and the life. And anyone that comes to the Father comes through him. And that was an audacious statement. Most of the Jews thought it was the most arrogant thing they've ever see, heard in their life. But as it turns out, it was true. And all these new believers realized, whoa, this is the truth. Jesus is the way. And it goes on to say this. And he found them there. He wanted to bring them, all the men and women of the way, back to Jerusalem in chains. And here's where it gets amazing. Here's where God, or here's where Saul, later known as Paul, has an encounter, an encounter with Jesus. It says, as he was approaching Damascus on his mission to kill the, people, to kill the followers of Jesus, suddenly a light shone down around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And, and Saul goes, who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go in the city. Now I want to say a couple of things here. I'm going to pause on the message. Hear me out here. He was, Saul was persecuting the people who followed the way. And here's what Jesus said. Why are you persecuting me? And here's the implications. Hear me out. Jesus is saying, when you attack one of my followers, you're attacking me. I want to just say this, and this is how Jesus sees you, a follower of him, a child of God, one of his chosen people. I love what it says in Ephesians, by the way. In Ephesians, the first chapter, it says, he chose you. You didn't choose him. He chose you. He saved you. He created you. And it, we know what it says there. It says, and it gave me great pleasure. And Ephesians, the first chapter, right? The beginning of that chapter says that. That's, that's an amazing thing. And Paul wrote that, by the way. But here's my point. Jesus sees his followers as his mouthpiece, as his hands and feet for him to represent him in the world you live in. I like it to say it this way. See, when you got saved, remember what it said? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witness. Because when you got saved, the Holy Spirit came upon you. And I like to say it this way. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you walk with the Holy Spirit in you, no matter where you walk into, no matter what situation, it might be at your workplace, it might be in your family, in your neighborhood, wherever you walk into, Jesus walked in with you. Because you represent him, he's in you. You're his representatives. It says, you will be my witnesses. And here's what the implications of what we just read. Why are you persecuting me, Saul? Because I promise you, God's got your back. Every time. 
because you're his representative, he always has your back. Don't ever let you, don't ever forget that. And it goes on to say this, keeping the story going about Saul. Saul's now hit, God's having, he's had an encounter with God, powerful encounter. In fact, he's on his butt trying to figure out what the heck just happened to him. And it says this. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, calling Ananias, yes, Lord, he replied. And the Lord said, go to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man named Tarsus. From, his name is Saul from Tarsus. He is praying to me right now. And I've shown him in a vision of a man, I've shown him a vision, uh, a vision of a man named Ananias coming to lay hands on him so he could see again. This is what he's telling Ananias. But then Ananias goes, but Lord, Ananias said, what the heck are you asking me? You're, you're what? You're asking me, that dude's trying to kill me. Now you want me to go see him? Yeah, I, I want you to go see him. And so, and, and I've heard many things, terrible things about this man and what he's done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he has the authority from the leading priest to arrest anyone who calls upon your name, Jesus. So like, you want me to go over there? Really? But the Lord said, go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to bring my message to the Gentiles, to the kings, as well as to all the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And if you've read the word for any length of time, you know that Paul suffered tremendously. Now, if you're new to the word, if you're new to the, to, to the Lord, there's a couple of things you need to know. So when I word, use the word Gentile, Gentile means anyone who is not Jewish. So if you're not Jewish, and most of us in this room aren't, we are considered, in the, in the original language, we're Gentiles. And so the Lord just told us that Paul, why he's important, and we should, we should know who he is, is because Paul was sent for us to know Jesus. So part of our line, a part of our history, a part of our the, the, the web of relationships started with Paul. And that we now know Jesus because of Paul's relationship with Jesus. Here's what it's finished. Let me just finish this text here. It says this, And Ananias went and found Saul, and he laid hands on him. Brother Saul, said the Lord, who appeared to you on the road to Damascus, sent me to help you regain your sight and to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell off his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized, and afterwards ate some food and gained his strength. Again, we're reading a history, history class. The detail's amazing in, in, in the book of Acts. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately began to preach about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is indeed the Son of God. So here's the deal. So Paul was trying to kill them, and now he's in the synagogue saying, no, I was wrong. I was dead wrong. He actually is the Son of God. That must have blown their mind completely. All who have heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man that caused such devastation among, among Jesus' followers? In Jerusalem, they ask. And didn't he come here to arrest them and, and take them in chains to the leading priest? And Saul preached more and more powerfully. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proof, and Jesus, that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. So Paul here, and, I, and you know what's amazing is, and maybe, maybe some of you in this room, you spent the 
pretty much the beginning of your life saying, there is no God. There is no God. There's no way there's a God. I don't believe it. And you had such an encounter with Jesus that you fell on your knees and you go, there is a God. Some of the brightest minds, some of the greatest authors I read were people who absolutely renounced the, the idea of there being a God. Absolutely, scientists, you know, all the folks that, that, that I've been reading just renounced the thought of a God. And all of a sudden, they, they had an encounter with God. Some of the most powerful books you can read are for people who couldn't, couldn't even fathom there being a God, who had an encounter with God, who can't stop sharing about God. And Paul was the same way. And so should us, every one of us in this room. When we had that encounter with Jesus, when God filled us with the Holy Spirit, it should have changed us so dramatically, so powerfully, so unbelievably that anyone who saw us, sees us, sees us, should see a reflection of Jesus in us. Are you hearing me? So when we're reading the book of Acts and we're talking about what's the big deal about church, it's not about the building. It's not about these big old churches. It's about the movement, which we are a part of, which we, God's expectation is, is that we take the message to the next generation. That's his expectation. But let's talk about Paul a second. So Paul got saved. Paul started preaching. Paul started, when he talks about preaching, he's really telling people about his encounter with Jesus. He was telling them their test. He was telling him his testimony. There is a God. I've met him. I've experienced him. I was wrong before. He is really who he is. He, he studied, he says that he prepared himself to go into the mission field for 10 years. And by mission field, I mean going to tell the outer parts of the world about Jesus. Spent 10 years talking to Peter, talking to all the apostles, just trying to understand who he was. And after 10 years, him and a couple other people set out, and you will read it, the rest of the book of Acts, on missions to start other churches. Put that map up, Carissa. So that's, those are the, all, all the places he went. He took off from Jerusalem, and for three, three times, three journeys, he went out and started little ecclesias, little churches. And many of those churches are still there today. Still there today. Growing, vital churches that he started in the very first century. He went all around. He, many of those churches, like the church of, in, in, in Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, the first of the book of Thessalonians in Thessalonica, the book, the book of Romans, of course, in Rome, the, the, the book of Ephesus, and in the book of Ephesus is the book of Ephesians. He wrote those books. Many of those times he wrote those books because he was in prison for his faith. But he was a powerful man. And it says that in 64 AD, he was beheaded for his faith, died, killed. And here's the implications of that that very, very, very bad things happen to very, very, very good people. It's been that way since the very first century. God is not shocked by it. We can't, you know, in, in our culture today, we'd go, oh, there must not be a God. God doesn't care. Why would God let that happen? But the fact is, God's on the throne. He was on the throne in Paul's life. He used that death amazingly. But I want you to know that God's still on the throne even though bad things happen in the world we live in today. Amen. We might question, where are you, God, in that? And you know what? There's no way, no one has the answer of why things happen, but that doesn't diminish the fact that there is a God who loves you and cares for you. Are you hearing me? So we're listening, I want to just wrap uh, this part of it up by telling you that our responsibility 
being a part of the Christian faith, a movement of God in the world, is our responsibility is to pass it on to generation to generation. I am committed to making sure my kids came to the Lord, and now I'm committed to make sure my grandkids come to the Lord. The people around me know Jesus by my life. The, the, the uh, St. Francis of Assisi, a, a famous Catholic priest, said this, preach the word day and night, 24-7, 365, and only use words when you have to. Only use words when you have to. And you'd have to say that was Paul. Paul was a powerful person. But here's, I want to read, read a section of scripture because it's kind of our, it's kind of like the bottom line of us, everyone who believes in Jesus. This is the bottom line of the gospel. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, this is, this is the, this is it. You need to get this down, guys. And that's what he tells us in 1 Corinthians. Let me read it. 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Paul's writing to the, the, the church of Corinth, and he writes this. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news that I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it now. It is the good news that saved you and continue as you continue to believe in the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something different that was never true in the first place. Here's what he says. I pass on Paul saying to us today, as well as he did to the church of Corinth, I pass on to you what was most important and what had to be passed on to me. God died for our sins, just as the scripture says. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. And after that, he was seen by 500 of his followers at one time, though some are, that are still alive, but some have, have died. Let me just stop right there. What he's saying to the church of Corinth, hey, if you don't believe me, if you don't believe me, I've seen them. If you don't believe me in my faith, hey, there's 500 other people here. Get in a boat and come over here and talk to them. They've seen him. They know he's alive. That's what he's saying here. And he's saying that to us today. He says, then he went and saw James, Jesus' brother, and later to the apostles. Last of all, as though I was born at the wrong time, I saw him. This is Paul talking. For I am the least of the apostles. In fact, I am not even worthy to be called an apostle for the way I persecuted God's church. But whatever, for whatever I am now, it is because of God's poured out his grace, his special favor on me. And not without results, for I have worked harder than any of the apostles, yet it was not I but God who worked through me by his grace. All of us in this room who have come to know Jesus had had an, has had an encounter with God and had seen him. We didn't physically see him, but we saw him move in our lives, unmistakably. When I came to the Lord 38 years ago, it was when I was about ready to get divorced. I, it was, we were planning on getting divorced. It was done. And I had an encounter with God so powerful that my wife and I both came to the Lord together and from, we walked in that room, didn't even want to see each other, didn't want to talk to each other, didn't be one of what, be, wouldn't, we didn't like each other at all. But we walked out in each other's arms, changed forever. Today, we, we celebrate our anniversary. We're still, 
because we had an encounter with Jesus so powerful that you, you, can't, you couldn't tell me it didn't happen. It happened. Just on this trip to, uh, to Europe, we went to Barcelona. And we were there for about an hour and a half. Got in on the plane, got in, the, got in a bus, went to the metro. We're headed to our, our hotel. And my wife got pickpocketed, robbed. They were so fast, they unzipped her purse, reached in, and got her wallet, took it. Fortunately, the money that we had, the cash, the euro we had, wasn't in that wallet. But what was in that wallet was our credit cards. So she called the bank. I don't even carry a bank card. My wife carried it. But we got our, she, we had to call the, she called the bank, said, you got to turn my card off. And I called my credit card company, and I told them, hey, I just got robbed. I got my card stolen. He goes, okay, we're, gonna, we're shutting it down right now. I go, wait, 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 you can't. Yep, shut down right now. The minute you told me it's stolen, it becomes my responsibility, not yours. I'll send you one in three to five days. I go, like, where? I'm on a boat. How the heck am I going to get a, I can't even get into my hotel room in 10 minutes. How am I going to get on that boat without a credit card? Like, I'm, I'm panicked. I'm panicked. My wife and I walked to this little cafe, outdoor cafe, um, we sat down on those chairs and we start praying. Lord, I am, I am literally, I'm literally a little panicked. No, I'm a lot panicked. <laughs> I'm freaking out. Like, what am I going to do? I, all the scenarios run through your mind. Because, you know, you're on a trip. You will, I have no way of getting more cash, so I will at some point run out of money. And like, I have no credit card, so like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm here for an hour. And I still got another th- two and a half weeks to go. I'm freaking out. And Deb and I just said, we got to pray because God's got to show up here. We have no answers. So I called back the credit card company. I said, you got to turn it on. And the lady goes, I don't know what part of you. It's not going to get turned on. You don't understand, but it ain't getting turned on. And I said, no, I got to pray. I just prayed big time. I called. The Lord told me to call him back. I did. I know, I know it's turned off. I need to talk to your boss. So they gave me to This lady picked up the phone. I said, look, here's my situation. I need you to hear me. And she goes, so, so sorry, sir, but when, when you get your car stolen, it's turned off, and it's not getting turned back on. I said, I, I hear that, but I need you to listen to me. And all of a sudden, like that, like that, because I just said, under my breath, I said, God, I need you right now. Now, I need you now, God. And all of a sudden, she goes, well, you know what, I might, there's something we could do. Let me, let me think this through. And she says, call me back in 10 minutes. I call her back in 10 minutes, and she got all the way down the line on the computers, whatever you do, I have no idea. But she got the card turned back on. And she allowed me to use that card throughout my trip. And she said to me, this is exactly what she said, we have never done this before. I said, I got off the phone and my wife and I were praising God. Because it, it, was, it was disaster. See, I had an encounter with Jesus right then. I can tell you, and I'll tell anybody that listens, that I had a touch of God. I've seen God work in my life. So have you. So have you. So I want to tell you, here's a, here's a takeaway from today's message. I want to tell you a couple of things and we'll go home. First of all, I want you to be able to tell your story. Think about the, your story of how God's worked in your life so you could tell someone else. Say it succinctly, quickly. Tell, say it powerfully. Don't use a lot of words, but tell them, I've encountered God. I know God can help you. Be able to be really good at telling your story about Jesus. And the minute you open your mouth, even though most of us in this room, the last thing we ought to do 
It's hard for us. I totally get it. We're nervous when we have to talk about God to strangers. But I promise you, if you just open your mouth, God will empower you. Like it said in Acts 1.8, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses, and God will move in your life so mightily, so powerfully, you can't even believe what's coming out of your mouth. It's happened to me. And secondly, I want you to wake up every morning. I want to, I want to challenge you to wake up every morning and say, Jesus, what is my assignment today? What do you want me to do today to serve you? And when you pray that, pray it. Go, Lord, I just want to be attentive to you. There might be a person that you want to cross that's discouraged and would love just to be encouraged. Oh, you know, you look amazing today. You're looking great today. You did a great job. It might be somebody in your family that just needs a hug. You did, but allow the Holy Spirit to work in you and through you and just be attentive to God's mission for the day to mean to continue to grow the kingdom of God and the movement that he's got. And his lastly, I want you to know, whenever you step out in faith, whenever you step out in faith, the word says that he gives you special abilities, special gifts. Trust me, he doesn't give you anything you can't handle and he can't handle through you. Are you hearing me? He will give you everything you need. All you need to do is make, take the first step and the Lord will do amazing things through you. Let's pray. Lord, we are, the word says that you didn't choose us. We didn't choose you. You chose us. You chose us, and it gave you great pleasure. And you, ser- you saved us, Lord. You chose us so that we could serve you, to worship you, to glorify you, to build your kingdom, Lord, to tell others about you and the majesty and the mystery and the, the, amazing, the amazing grace that you show people, Lord. So I pray for each one of us in this room right now, Right now, you'd continue to fill us with your Holy Spirit and embolden us and empower us to serve you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name, and if there's anyone in this room who's never come to know you, never, doesn't even, like I'm talking this morning, and you go, what are you talking about, dude? You've never come to know Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity right now so you can know the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. If you've never come to know Jesus, if you've never asked Jesus in your life, in a couple seconds, I'm gonna count to three and I want you to raise your hand and I'll pray with you. And I'll ask God to move in your life so mightily, so powerfully, so dramatically that the person who drove up here today and the person that goes back down that driveway are two different people. Are you ready? One, two, three. Raise your hand if that's you. If you wanna come to know Jesus, I see you. Yes, I do. Raise your hand if I want to see you. Yes, I see you too. Yes, I see you. Pray with me, would you? Pray with me right now. Lord, come into my heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Forgive me for doing my thing my way without you all these years, Lord. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself tangibly today in these folks' lives who've come to want to know you powerfully, Lord. I pray that you'd work on them. I pray that they would be so filled with your Holy Spirit, Lord, they couldn't help but tell others about your grace and your mercy in their life. And in Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Okay, good to be with you this morning.